Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk Notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Welcome. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the two teaching pastors here at Crosswalk, and I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. We're going to try something together so that we can let the entire community know that tonight is Christmas Eve. We're celebrating the birth of our Savior. So I'm going to say three words, and every time I say those three words, I want you to shout hallelujah. And I'm going to say those three words three times, and I want you to shout hallelujah. You ready? You ready to say it real loud? I mean with a shout. All right. Jesus is born. Jesus is born. Jesus is born. Praise God. Hallelujah. Jesus is born. And I want to welcome everyone here tonight. We're so excited that you've chosen tonight to come and join us for worship. I want to take just a few moments before we dive into the message tonight to uh, take you through a few practical items. So get out your programs. Inside your program, you're going to find a few things that will be useful to you tonight. First of all, a white half sheet called the Crosswalk Notes. You can use those in just a moment to follow along in tonight's message. Also inside the program, you'll find a green card. We'd love to have you fill this out tonight. Let us know that you worshiped with us on Christmas Eve. If you're a guest, let me warmly welcome you. We're super excited that you're here tonight. And uh, we just enjoy the fact that you've come to explore more about this Jesus who claims to be the Savior and the Messiah and the Son of God. And we're going to talk more about those claims in just a moment. On the back side of the card are some practical take-homes that you can check, whichever ones you feel like you'd like to. And also there's a place for your prayer requests and your comments. And then back to the front of the card, just provide us with as much information as you feel comfortable sharing with us tonight. Uh, inside you'll also find an offering envelope and a love one another sheet. Those two explain one another as you'll also see on the next steps uh, side of your program, the right-hand side. So those are tonight's announcements and i'm excited to leap in to our message we're going to be talking about matthew chapter 1 verses 18 to 25 and i'm going to begin just by reading those verses to you this is the christmas story the original christmas story and the author matthew a jewish man is explaining to the Jews that this is the promised Messiah, the one who has fulfilled all the Old Testament promises that God had made to send his own son to be our Savior. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. 
but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I don't know if you've seen as many articles about this recently as I have, but science seems to be teaching us a great deal about something that we probably wouldn't expect science to be teaching us about. And that is a kind of a soft topic, the topic of happiness. What we're learning about happiness is that there are, there are some kind of unusual things that promote happiness in our lives that maybe we wouldn't really expect or connect with happiness until now recent experiments have shown that these have a direct connection to the happiness that we experience in life. And I'm going to tell you what a couple of those are, but before I do that, I want to share a little story from when I was a freshman in high school. I was going along quite nicely, having made the transition from 8th grade at Desert View Elementary School in Sunny Slope to Sunny Slope High School. And I wasn't too worried about that transition. I had always done pretty well in school. I loved to learn. But about October or November, I thought to myself, I hope my mom doesn't see this report card. Because what had happened is that I didn't realize that in the transition from elementary school to grade school, you had to do this little thing called, well, homework. Because I had never had to do much of that before in elementary school. And and so I hadn't done much of it in that first semester of of high school either. And I, I started to think to myself, Buddy, you better start digging, and you better start digging quick to get yourself out of this hole. You see, I I was raised by a mom and dad that were part of what Tom Brokaw has named the greatest generation. Children of World War II era, children who had gone through the Great Depression. And if if there there was anything about that greatest generation, it was take personal responsibility work hard, and be self-reliant. Dig yourself out of the holes that you create. And I had learned that lesson well. And so I didn't tell anyone. I didn't warn my mom what might be coming in the report card. And later on, I wished I had maybe given her a little bit of a heads up when I saw her reaction. Because what happened was I was not able to dig myself out of that hole. I started trying and then I realized that in this thing called algebra, you have to kind of have the initial building blocks to build something on, which I had missed because, well, I had been thinking about something else clearly in class and I hadn't been doing my homework. And all the self-reliance in the world at that point was not going to help me, was not gonna, it was not going to do me any good, no matter how hard I tried to work it all out on my own, All it led to was me going and spiraling further and further down. Anyone here ever been in a situation like that? Where you thought you were taught, work hard. Take responsibility. You don't need others in your life because you can be independent and you can be self-reliant. And that is the way to be. And you know what I would say about that? Those are wonderful qualities. But like all wonderful qualities, 
If you take them past a certain point, they can do grave damage. And what we're talking about tonight, the reason I started with this story about self-reliance is that what we're also learning in science is something that we could have learned a long time ago from the Bible about happiness. Is that happiness really comes from something other than self-reliance. That happiness really comes when, when we learn gratitude, which means we have to be reliant on others or something bigger than ourselves. And we have to appreciate what we're given, not what we've earned. What we're learning from science is the more grateful we are, even to the point of if you take some time every day and just, just sort of think about your blessings and think about that this world is maybe something in which you fit in and there is something bigger than yourself, uh, something supernatural. What we're learning is that when people do that, they recognize the gifts that are in their lives, that happiness will follow. One of the reasons I talk about this is I feel like, to a certain extent, American culture has taught us to take that whole idea of self-reliance to a level that's dangerous for us. And that when people become self-reliant, the message of a savior sort of begins to bounce off their eardrums without really penetrating. My mom used to say, I think she used this phrase, in fact, on that um, homework day when she finally got my report card. She said, Jeff, my words just seem to go in one ear and come out the other. And that's what can happen to us when we hear about a gospel of God's grace, of God sending a rescuer, a savior, his own son to take care of us. When we feel so strongly that we need to be self-reliant, that we're kind of left to go, what, what, what do I really need this message for? Until... Until God allows certain things to happen in our lives. And I'm guessing that many of us here tonight have experienced some of those things in our lives. Similar things to, to what Joseph and Mary are certainly experiencing here as our Savior is born in the story that I just read. You see, they had to undergo change. Just like I had to undergo change in my freshman year in high school. But... The thing that got me to change was experiencing the crunch time of a talk with my mom. And, and in that crunch time, I became aware that this pain that I'm experiencing right now as my mom lectures me is greater than the pain of changing and maybe starting to do some homework. But not only starting to do some homework, but reaching out to others. And stop being so self-reliant and asking for help. That in, in my case, for change to happen, I had to recognize that I had a need that I myself could not fill. Take a look at what we just read. And I want you to write this down. When is crunch time for any of us when it comes to personal change? It is when the pain of the status quo exceeds the pain of change. 
When you go back up to the very top of what we just read, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Can you imagine this young man probably still a teenager he had plans he had a blueprint and it was all laid out he had this beautiful young lady that he was going to marry they were going to establish a, a household in little village of nazareth probably probably really just a village of dozens of people not hundreds everybody knew everybody and then all of a sudden this young man discovers that his bride is is pregnant. And he knows, as it says here, that he was faithful to the law. He knows that he didn't do it. He was not the one personally responsible for that pregnancy. And and if I put myself in Joseph's shoes at that point, I'm thinking, man, my, my plans, they are lying shattered on the ground. Because this is not just a, a, a disgrace to Mary, which we'll talk about in a moment, but it's a, it's a disgrace to him. A personal humiliation because, after all, had he been very good if this girl could get pregnant right in the midst of their engagement? Had he been very good at picking out the woman who would accompany him through life? I don't know how you feel when you make plans. You have a blueprint for your life. And then you wake up one day and, and, and you get a message or you hear from someone or something occurs and all of a sudden you realize that that blueprint, those plans, everything that you expected that was good, that was coming to you, because of the steps that you had taken, faithful steps, now it was gone, it was disappeared, it was like a mist in the night disappear, the rising of the sun. You know what that does to a person? It can be so devastating. And the natural explanation is the first one that comes to Joseph, right? Well, if she got pregnant, there must be someone who, who made her pregnant. So... Being the good guy that he was, he says, I'm not going to expose her to public disgrace. I'll just divorce her quietly and move on with my life. can't imagine what he was feeling. And then verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. If you have have your crosswalk pin with you, I I want you to do a couple things with me right now. Next, in the column to the left, next to verses 18 to 19, I want you to write the words natural. Just write, write the word natural there. And then come down in the left column next to verse 20, 21. I want you to write the word supernatural. 
You see, because that was the choice that this angel was placing before Joseph. Joseph, I want to I give you a second explanation for what just went down here. I, I know what you must be thinking because any person naturally would think that someone else came along, that your wife was unfaithful to you, that another human being impregnated her. But I'm telling you, there's a supernatural explanation, Joseph. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your, as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And what's more, this baby that she's about to give birth to is the long-promised Savior of the world. And I want you to give him the name Jesus because he is here to save all people from their sin. Ever been in that position? Maybe, um, Maybe something happened in your family. Maybe it was an illness. Maybe a financial issue. And, and you had to decide how you were going to look at that. Like, all right, from the natural side of this, it's an illness, or I got myself in too much debt. And there's definitely that natural, personal responsibility side of it. But then someone comes along and says to you, you think God could be at work in this? Do you think, do you think that there's an element of, of the divine that, that God has a plan and that even though this appears to be complete disaster right now, that God still has a plan while, while your plans and your blueprint lie in tatters on the ground, God's does not? You see, this is, this is where Joseph is. You see, his crunch time, and, I, and you can write this down, is, is simply this. It was crunch time for Joseph because he had to decide, what's the real explanation here? Is it the natural explanation? Or is it what this angel is telling me, the supernatural explanation? And what a message this supernatural explanation is. That God has come through. That the Son of God Himself is born, that our sins are forgiven, that our guilt and shame are gone. And I'm telling you that there are going to be times also in your life where you're going to be faced with that decision. In fact, tonight you're sort of faced with that, aren't you? Because what's the real message of Christmas? If you um, read... The billboard put up by atheist.org in Times Square, which asks this simple question, do we need Christ at Christmas? And the answer it gives is we don't. And it suggests all the wonderful things that we can have at Christmas without Christ. We can still have presents and we can still have family and we can still have turkey and ham and great food on the table. We can still have friends over. There's all these great things about Christmas that we can have without Christ. If you, if you look at it from that point of view, and, and let me just say this. 
I'm guessing and I even hope that there are some people in this room right now that do look at it from that point of view. There was a time when I looked at it from that point of view. That all I saw was the natural. That I didn't believe that there was anything supernatural. And I want to say to you, if, if that's where you're coming from tonight, we're glad you're here. Because it means maybe a, a little piece of you is exploring, a little bit of you is, is, is being drawn by God to come and explore who Jesus really is. And, and could this story of him being the son of God, the savior of the world, the forgiver of our sins, could it possibly be real? Could it, could it possibly be true? I know it's, it's so supernatural and out there, it almost sounds like mythology, but, but could it be true? If you're here tonight and that's where you are, I'm just so glad that you're here. And I want to assure you, I want you to know it is true. It's completely true that God in his love supernaturally through the power of the Holy Spirit took a, a, a teenage virgin girl and through her provided his son to be our savior. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, it says in the book of Romans. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. If we can't figure out God sometimes, Paul in the book of Romans says that's what we should kind of expect. Who has known the mind of the Lord or, or who has been his counselor? So would you write this down? It was, it was crunch time for Joseph. He had to decide whether to believe the, the natural or the supernatural explanation for what was occurring here. And you know, when we say Christmas is crunch time, in this story, it was crunch time for more than Joseph. Verse 22 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded, and, and, he, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You see, here's another obstacle sometimes to people trusting in the supernatural, believing in an explanation that's bigger than ourselves, is that we get consumed within ourselves. And you know one of the biggest things that can do that is guilt and shame and humiliation. Have you ever been brought really, really low in your life? Have you ever felt just devastated by where your own choices and decisions have led your life and thought to yourself, man, or maybe it wasn't even your choices and decisions, but the rumors that, that spun out about you. Take yourself back to high school. And you know, so often that can get those, those things where people are, are in our ear. It can be devastating to the point where we start to feel like, I don't even know who I am anymore. I've tried to do the right things, but... No one, no one respects me or thinks that I'm anything at all. And 
And I'm thinking maybe that's a little bit of where Mary was. She knew she had done nothing wrong. She knew what was happening because an angel had told her what was happening. And yet you have to believe in this little village of Nazareth. As I said before, dozens of people, most of them friends and family, there had to be a lot of whispering and rumors going around. Joseph had to figure out what to do with that. He knew that what was supposed to have happened was a disgrace, but he goes, it tells us in verse 24, and did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He accepted the supernatural explanation and he took Mary home as his wife. And then later what happens, and I'm guessing many of you know this story, the Roman governor says, everyone has to go back to their own hometown because of a tax census. So take a look at what it says, Luke 2, verses 6 and 7. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. A week ago Monday, I was sitting in a courtroom. I was sitting in a courtroom on behalf of a man who was charged with, with murder. In that courtroom also with us, there were several Crosswalk staff members who were there to speak on this gentleman's behalf. A gentleman who had grown up knowing Christ his, his whole life. But in that courtroom was also a family. A family who, due to the actions of the man that I was there to speak on behalf of, had lost their 14-year-old teenage son. I sat there and I listened as three of them stood up to give testimony about the loss of their son. And, and, and heard the devastating story of, of how the man I was there to, to represent, I, I knew the story, but I heard it again from the mouth of the victims, had used drugs, stolen a car, driven at a high rate of speed, and hit their van, which caused it to spin and turn over. And not only... Not only was a 14-year-old boy killed, but several others were seriously injured. Children. And boy, I'm telling you, as I heard their testimony, I got, I got a real sense of what it's like to speak on the behalf of someone who acknowledges their guilt because... The man that I was there to represent was not claiming innocence. He stood up. He took the guilty plea. He apologized briefly to the family. But man, can you imagine what it's like to be Jesus? Standing in the dock for you and for me knowing that each one of us is, is guilty, that, that we actually deserve the humiliation of having our sins heaped upon us because we are sinful, 
from conception, the Bible tells us, and we follow that, that, that sin-filled conception with a sin-filled birth and then a sin-filled life. And the only thing that intervenes in that whole process is baptism in the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. That's the wonder of Christmas is that we have someone who came all the way down here who, who fights our humiliation, Mary's humiliation, our humiliation because of our sins with humility. Can humiliation be matched with humility? Yes, it can, praise God, because it is the humility of God himself coming down to be true man and stepping into our world and into our shoes and saying, Heavenly Father, I will die in their place. This birth is just the beginning. It's a process that leads to my death. I realize this is so counterintuitive. Look at what Paul says. But God chose, top of page two in your notes, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Write this in, will you? It was crunch time for Mary. She had to discern divine greatness and power just as we do even when it came in the package of humble humanity a little baby lying in a manger and here's the beautiful truth it was crunch time even for God that first Christmas was crunch time for him do you know why? because this is the very God who has made countless promises. If you've been with us during this last series, where we were going through in our Seek Justice series, all the prophets, you've heard prophecy upon prophecy upon prophecy about a coming Savior for the world, going all the way, stretching all the way back into the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve first sinned. And God promised that he would send someone to crush the head of Satan. Alfred Adersheim, who wrote a a, a beautiful volume the life and times of Jesus the Messiah, counted 456 promises in the Old Testament of a Savior. One of them is the verse that I put in your crosswalk notes. For to us a child is born. This was written 700 years. By the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Christ was born, but he is, he is talking about it like it's, it's right here. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, this all only works if there is a God and if that God has integrity and keeps his promises. And this God of ours that we are celebrating tonight made 456 promises that he would send a savior for us. And right here is where we get to celebrate the fact that he kept his promises. Every last one of those 456 prophecies is fulfilled in his son, Jesus. Will you write this down? It was crunch time for God this first Christmas. 
He had made promises that only he could keep. See what it says in Galatians 4, 4 4-6? When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his son, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Here's the bottom line. Christmas is crunch time also for you and for me. Because we too have to decide what to do with this story. Are we going to only accept the natural explanation of it? Or are we willing to let the Holy Spirit persuade us there's a deeper supernatural explanation to what's going on here, which we've just heard? Are we going to let our sins and our guilt and our shame and our our personal humiliation bar the door from us believing that Jesus is my Savior, your Savior, as Mary could have done? I pray the answer is no. If you're sitting here tonight like I was back in high school thinking, I just have to be self-reliant. I don't need God. I don't need a Savior. And it's wonderful to have gifts and it's, it's wonderful to have family around and I love the food at Christmas time, but I don't need a Savior for my sins. I just, I just want to urge you to think that there, there can be something more, something true, and something better in your life. And that's what this passage is telling you is real. God sent you his son, and that is true. Born of a woman, and that is true. Born under the law, fulfilling every law, and that is true. And to redeem those under the law, that's us. And that's better. That we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. You want to know what's really true and better about the Christmas message? It's God saying to you and me, it's not enough. It's not sufficient. It's not true and better for you to have all these other things, but not have a relationship with me, God is saying. Because at the end of the day, a relationship with me through my son, Jesus Christ, through faith in him, is the one thing that is really true and really better. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So write this in. It's crunch time for me. And just ask yourself this. Do I really have everything I need? Or is there something more that offers me a true and better life? And if you want to know more about that something, really that someone who offers you a true and better life, let me just invite you to keep exploring and to come back right here this Sunday. We're going to talk more about this true and better thing on Sunday. And if not that, come back in a couple of weeks. We're starting a great new series called The Healer. 
We would love to have you back so that you can explore whether or not these claims of Jesus Christ being your Savior and your Lord are really true. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you promised 456 times to send us a Savior. And then you fulfilled those promises by sending your one and only Son, true God, to become true man. To step down into our shoes, become fully human, yet without sin. Because of that, Lord, we know that he is our righteousness and that he has taken all our sins on his shoulders. And we are so grateful for that. And that is what we celebrate at the birth of our Savior as we watch and worship him in the manger. Lord, we pray these things in his name. Amen.